Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to put the UNLV game behind us and start talking about this weekend's matchup with Stanford. we got RJ Abadia from TheBootleg.com is going to join us. If you have any questions or comments, you can write us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can text or call and leave a voicemail at 424-254-9141. Like I said, we're going to talk to RJ Abadia first kind of talking about USC and Stanford. We like to do this every year. We go back and forth. He'll ask me questions about USC. I'll ask him questions about Stanford. Then later on, we're going to talk about the line in this game, which is around three and a half, goes up to five and a half with uh, Rafael Esparza. So he's our our resident expert as far as odds makers and stuff goes. So Rafael will talk about the game. We both had the uh, UNLV covering last week and uh, we were both right. So uh, hopefully we'll see what we talk about this weekend uh, on the game. That'll be coming up a little bit later on, but right now, RJ Badia, what's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's great to be within the confines of the peristyle again. <laughs> the peristyle, hallowed, hallowed digital ground. The peristyle podcast. Yeah, it's our I think 11th football season covering the team. So kind of crazy. Good God! It's been That's a while. A lot. It's been a minute, dude. Yeah, you know. Well, how how things are at the bootleg? You're like running the show now, man. Things are things with the bootleg are great. Obviously, football season has uh, has started. Things are kind of revving up, and uh, you know everyone is uh, cautiously excited with a with a week one win. And you know it's always an interesting it's always interesting because I think for both fan bases, this is certainly among the top, if not the top, game on the schedule every year. And there's always just this weird feeling that it always just comes too early. It does. It's like, why do they play this game, the second game of the season? Are you punishing both teams because they both play Notre Dame? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really like uh, that aspect of it. But, it, you know, it's made for some interesting games. Uh, you know, this year, both teams had a slow start against uh you know, I, I think Stanford played a tougher opponent in San Diego State, who obviously beat Stanford last year. But that game was seven to two, whatever, going into halftime. Some crazy play. Uh, USC was losing fourteen to twelve going into halftime, and then kind of pulled away. So both these teams sort of had slow starts in their openers. Yeah, no, I mean, if you had if you had offered Stanford fans a prop bet that a number twenty would score the first point. For, the, for Stanford on the season, I think many would have jumped at it, but I don't think they would have expected it to have been Bobby Okariki, and I don't think they would have expected it to be a safety, but that's exactly how it played out. <laughs> wait, wait. So the first, didn't they, uh, so w- was it seven to, it was seven to two, and it, didn't they have like a long pass to Arcega Whiteside, or was it a pick six or something? Yes, it was, so it was, well, it was seven nothing, and then Okariki had the safety to make it seven oh, two. Oh, gotcha, so gotcha. the okay. first, yeah, so the first points were scored by the defense this year. I mean, Stanford's whole, I mean, you know, as this season unfolds, I expect this to look even funnier and funnier, but Stanford literally could not run a play without needing a timeout. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> the 2000, the 2018 season began with an offensive timeout before a play was run. And then, yeah, and then it got even more comical when, you know, it took the defense scoring a safety to get points on the board. But then, as you said, you know, they really kind of find their, found their stride, made the adjustments that they needed to, and, uh, and looked like the offense that I think many people think they can be this year. Yeah, this is, uh, we did our preview. Uh, we talked to you during the podcast of champions a few weeks back, um, you know, talking about the Stanford team and so much offensive firepower to be able to put up some numbers like that with just K- KJ Costello and not, um, Bryce Love, you know, him really not being involved is kind of crazy, but big receivers, tight ends all over the place. Uh, the offensive line, I think four of the five guys came back, right? Um, just, yeah. It just seems like, you know, Stanford's going to be really, really good again on offense. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's the thing is, is I think if you want a single takeaway from game one, you know, which you always do with the kind of the grain of salt, but I would say, one of the big questions was, could this team respond to a scenario where Bryce Love was taken away, you know, either by injury or by just a defense in San Diego State that simply refused to stop putting guys in the box? I mean, there were nine and ten guys in the box on the regular. Like, it just wasn't going to be Bryce Love's day. He had 29 yards on 18 carries. And the, and the question was, could Stanford respond and beat a team another way? And the answer for one game was a resounding yes. Yeah, it was uh, pretty impressive through the air. And, you know, you take the decision out of David Shaw's hand where you're not going to play Keller Christ inexplicably instead of KJ Costello. It seems like now you're just like, hey, there's one quarterback. He's obviously, you know, the best choice there. So you, you kind of take that decision process out of it, I guess. Yeah, no, and I'm sure Stanford fans are appreciating the subtle trolling you're doing there because you're <laughs> echoing you're echoing a lot of a lot of frustration that's been expressed over the past year, year and a half. But no, it's it's interesting because, you know, this is the first time in three seasons now where Stanford went into training camp knowing exactly who the number one quarterback was gonna be. And, you know, I don't think you can put their success last Friday night all on that, but it certainly helps to know who that guy is and to not have this week to week distraction and to have their practice reps split and all that kind of stuff. And, and the irony is, is that, you know, it was just, it was just a couple of years ago that Stanford was choosing between two players that, that the fan base wasn't excited about. It was Keller Chris versus Ryan Burns and, and no one felt like a winner, no matter what was chosen. And, and now you know, they've got they've got Davis Mills backing up KJ Costello, and I think both the fans and the Stanford coaches feel really good about both those players. So it's it's flipped to kind of the worst scenario to kind of the best scenario. But I think at this stage, like you said, clearly KJ Costello is this team's quarterback moving forward, and that's probably how it should be based on the results we've seen. You know, it's interesting, RJ, on the USC side, certainly you could have seen uh, like a Matt Fink or Jack Sears win the job, and then everyone's uh, begging to throw in the true freshman, JT Daniels. Uh, they decide, you know, a week before the opener that JT Daniels is going to be the guy. They announce it, and he's kind of rolling. Uh, you know, played pretty well in his first game. No turnovers. There was a near pick. Uh, but, you know, a bad game against Stanford and, a you know, maybe a bad game on the road against Texas, and you could, you know, hear people calling for, you know, one of the backups. Not really expecting that, but... 
I think it does help, you know, having your main guy just going in there. I just, it just bothers me. We saw that happen with Sefa Lufau and um, Steven Montez a little bit for Colorado last year. Yeah. That Oregon State game, he didn't even play KJ Costello. I couldn't imagine that. But so it, the fact that KJ Costello is the guy, and I think you're going to see on the USC side, JT Daniels being the guy, it probably helps both teams. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious to know. I mean, obviously, kind of talk a little bit about what you saw, but it, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting scenario. I think a lot of Stanford fans obviously are very familiar with the name JT Daniels um, for obvious reasons, but you know, it, it's kind of, I think there was a lot of hearkening back to two years ago where for Stanford's benefit, Clay Hilton waited just long enough to go with Sam Darnold. Um, meaning he played the Stanford game, you know, using Darnold in a limited role. For the long term, how do you feel about the decision to just commit to JT Daniels right out of the box? And could you foresee a scenario where this becomes a quarterback controversy? Or do you think Clay Helton is committed to letting JT take whatever lumps he needs to because he obviously is the future at that position? Yeah, you know, I think I think he's kind of committed at that point. When you pick the true freshman, it's hard to go back. It's hard to switch. And I think he played well enough in the first game that you're like, okay, um, this is probably going to work out all right. It, it helps to not have your first game be against Alabama as opposed to uh, UNLV. Right. And so it would take like a couple of big struggles, I think, against Stanford and and Texas for for something to change. But he seems like, you know, the kind of kid that would go to Stanford a lot of times. He's really sharp. He's uh, one of those dudes that you don't expect him to make the same mistake more than once. If he, if he has, you know, he, some misread or something, you don't expect him to do that again. Uh, just seems to be, you know, advanced beyond his years and a really confident kid. You know, it's not like he's out there being super cocky, but he is very confident. And I think that's helped him a lot throughout this process that he's not, you know, wasn't super intimidated running out of the tunnel for the first time. Uh, curious to see, I don't think he's going to be intimidated going into his first, you know, big road game, but this is a, this is a big one, as you know, and, um, you know, not having played in that kind of, uh, you know, situation before where it's a league game and the a team that you beat twice last year and, and played in the championship game. There's a lot, a lot of chips, obviously, on the table for this one. So we'll see. I expect him, uh, RJ, to, to to handle it pretty well, but you never know. It's a true freshman, so it's first time for everything. Yeah, and I think it's interesting both for him and I think from Stanford's point of view, um, David Shaw has already talked this week a lot about you know, playing downhill in terms of the scoreboard. And for Stanford, you know, a big part of the struggle last year against USC was the Trojans' ability to jump out and and to basically play downhill. I mean, even in the Pac-12 championship game, it got close, but UCLA was always ahead. And UCLA was, you know, or USC, I should say, forgive me. Wow, just lost you so many listeners right there. But anyway, um, you know, USC was playing downhill and they were playing with the lead the whole time. And Stanford, you know, I think Stanford is really looking to kind of reverse that because I think I think that played a big role in both those games last year. No, I, I think you're right. And uh, I think for me, this is a, a, a game that the big plays are going to be a factor um, I think the USC defense has showed it's still going to be aggressive, uh, forcing five sacks against UNLV, but also giving up some big plays. You know Bryce Love can have some big plays. You know 
Costello can find, you know, Ortega Whiteside or Colby Parkinson. You know, there can be some big plays there too. Uh, I think this USC defense has to try to limit that a little bit more um, because I think, you know, Stanford's very capable and I think USC is capable too. So I don't know, maybe, I don't know what you think, but I think big plays could be a big factor in this one on both sides. Yeah. And you can add David Shaw to the list of people who, who believe that as well, you know, like, you know, in a sense, yes, it's kind of like all football games, but I think in this game, especially when you have two teams that are, I think as, as well matched as these two teams are, and also super familiar with one another. David Shaw spent a lot of time talking about the fact that he and Clancy Pendergast as opponents go, go back a long way. Um, and there's just, you know, there's a lot of familiarity with these teams. So really you're looking for those three or four plays where something slips, there's a busted coverage, there's a fumble, there's a, you know, something that, that flips the field or flips the scoreboard. Um, and it's probably just going to be two or three of those kind of plays because especially early in the season, you know, these teams tend to play like heavyweights feeling each other out. Right. And there tends to be kind of some time in the game where, where you're just trying to get a sense of what's happening out there. And then, you know, once it gets cut loose, pretty much anything can happen at that point. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. I'm really excited for, for this one, not just cause I love the food in the Stanford press box, RJ, cause it's good. You know, you got, they do a way better job than what we get at us. Now USC is under construction right now. So you don't have to come down and see that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, we're in like these shipping containers up there. Uh, you know, they give us the box lunches, but they got a lot of drinks and stuff. It's not too bad, but Stanford, man, they do it right up there. Yeah. And you know, I'd also like to extend that to the, to the tailgating. I think Stanford has a very underrated tailgating scene, especially, especially in terms of the food, um, which I can tell you is exquisite and, uh, you know, shotgun, shotgun Spratling has already been invited. So obviously I will extend that invitation to you and, uh, the rest of your your army of correspondents um, <laughs> who may or may not be heading up there this weekend, but yeah, feel free to uh, feel free to drop by. We'll uh, we'll treat you right. Awesome, thanks, man. Um, so one of the things we talked about in the preview was uh, this defense, and you know, replacing guys like a Harrison Phillips, especially on a you know not a really deep defensive line, going to be tough. Justin Reed was a stud. Um, this is a defense that. You know, forced 28 turnovers last year. They had a six, you know, plus 16 turnover margin, which I think was the best in the nation. Um, what have you seen from this defense so far? And uh, do you think they can kind of keep that up? You know, being able to force that many turnovers uh, obviously is huge, and you can swing games on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, it, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, you don't want to be one of those defenses that has to get turnovers because it kind of implies you're not really stopping the other team on a consistent basis. Um, I say, I'd say after the first game, the signs were encouraging for Stanford's defense, mainly because, you know, as I said on, on your, on the preview on the podcast of champions, there were so many questions and, and, and a lot of, and a lot of legitimate doubt and curiosity about what this defense could be. Um, now that being said, considering we were just talking about the importance of a big start or a slow start one way or the other, you know, the Stanford defense came out like it usually does in the first quarter, uh, unimpressively. I mean, San Diego State was rushing 
for 8.2 yards to carry after one quarter. Their yards per play was, I think, even higher than that. Um, but the Cardinal was able to buckle down and do what they've done so many times, which is kind of come out into the second half and really limit what San Diego State was able to do. I mean, they scored three points after the half, and their their yards per play was 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 down significantly. So, you know, overall it was encouraging. But of course, you know, San Diego State is not bringing. First of all, they have a good offensive line, but they're not bringing the talent on the line that that USC is, nor are they bringing the talent at the skill positions that USC is. So I guess I'll, I'll flip it to you off of that and just ask you, what are your early impressions of the USC offensive line? I know I think they've got at least one, one key component is out at the moment, but how does that offensive line look compared to kind of the, the vintage groups of the recent years? You know, I went back, RJ, and watched the rewatched the game again. Um, I cut the cord recently, so I didn't didn't have a a way to record it. So I was had to wait for Pac-12 uh, to watch on like my iPad and watch the game in sixty, which is the best thing the Pac-12 network does. By the way, love that. Um, it is pretty awesome. Oh yeah, so I got to watch that. You can watch the whole game in forty five minutes. It's like pretty damn good. Um, so kind of watch that again. I think it was it was a mixed review. Um, there was a lot of times where USC did a pretty good job running the ball. Akacedric Ware uh, had 100 yards on 10 carries. But there was a bunch of times where I would see a guy, you know, left tackle just miss the assignment. They would blitz two guys from that side. And he wouldn't pick up either one of them, and the, the play would be dead. So there was some of that stuff going on. But it was an aggressive uh, UNLV defense. They switched defensive coordinators to an inexperienced guy, but one that's more aggressive. And you saw that out there. And they gave up some big plays, but I think they forced some negative ones too. Um, so I, you know, I think it was sort of a mixed bag Toa Lobendon, who's, uh, you know, just a guy that's you know, been all everything for USC playing all over the place. He's been out, um, you know, and don't really, I'm not really sure what to expect this weekend if he'll be back, but you got Brett Neal on who's a red shirt freshman come in and start at center. And the funny thing is you never really noticed him. And if you're just talking about a center, it's probably a good thing. You didn't see, uh, you know, JT Daniels reaching down, trying to pick up snaps off the ground. or We saw that a lot with uh, Sam Darnold last year um, in the last couple of years. It, you know, I, it seemed to help, you know, hurt the flow of the offense a little bit. So I don't think that hurt at all. You're not really sure if maybe he made some wrong calls or something because obviously as a center you have to you do a lot of that. And that's really hard to see from just watching. You don't really know what's going on unless you, the coaches know what the play is and things like that. But I thought he came in and did a really nice job. They're deep, RJ. They got 15 guys, 15 bodies scholarship players on the offensive line, uh, third year in the same system uh, with Neil Calloway and a bunch of starting experience back, a bunch of veteran guys. And like you said, everyone's four and five star guys. Um, you know, Stanford's the only team, you know, that there's recruiting probably better offensive linemen, more like the, the elite five-star stuff, but they have a lot of guys there and I think they played okay. I think it certainly would be a little bit different test uh, facing Stanford, but sometimes that Stanford front will play you straight up, right? Later it's like, hey, mano, 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 and, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. I, I'm curious to see how that the two fronts kind of go at each other. But they had some issues, I think, against UNLV, but overall I thought the offensive line played all right. And then um, we can, you know, obviously, since this is a Parastyle podcast, you should feel free to ask any questions that you like. But I, I do want to touch on the SC defensive line because, you know, as much as Sam Darnold, haunted the Stanford defense last year. Uchenna Nwosu, I think, 
a little underrated because I think he pretty much single-handedly wrecked both those games for the Cardinal. Um, I think that first game in the Coliseum, he had some kind of Dikembe Mutombo level of batted <laughs> passes, 25, 30 passes maybe. I'm exaggerating, but it, it sure felt like that. And then obviously he made the monster play on fourth and one and the big goal line stand. So who are kind of the standout guys on that Trojan defensive line and, and just on the defense in general that, that you think that you expect to have an impact this week? Yeah, uh, Uchenna was a stud uh, last year. At, at some point, he was leading the nation in def- deflected balls, you know, and I think, you know, some of that, the early Stanford game, he got a few. Uh, I mean, obviously that helped, but he's uh, he's played really well and, you know, be- last year, he's with the Chargers now, um, so, you know, he's, he's doing it again at the next level. We'll see. You know, they got their opener this weekend, uh, but I think some of the guys to watch, I think if you look at Port Augustine, he had a sack, I think, on the first series against uh, UNLV, or the second one. They forced a fumble on. He recovered a fumble on the first series, got a sack on the second series. Um, he looks healthy, and he looks back. And he was just a guy that was banged up most of the year last year and didn't really get to play much. I think you see a, a thinner Cameron Smith uh, at the middle linebacker spot, and he was running around. He only has two and a half sacks. Well, he had two and a half sacks in his career. Picked up a, a th- you know, Three, what the three, third or third and a half or whatever you want to say. He picked up another sack yeah. in this game at a tackle for loss as a you know as a lighter guy. So he's moving around. Looks like he's making some plays back there. But they're really rotating more now, RJ, than they were before. And they're in the nickel a lot. So it's mostly two down linemen and four linebackers and five defensive backs. But sometimes they'll go to base. Uh, but they're switching that the guys in the front quite a bit. And uh, Jay Tufele is a guy that I like a lot who. You know, was a five-star dude coming in and redshirted last year and was very active. He had his first sack of his career. It was his first game of his career. But he had a sack in the UNLV game. Um, and I think he, you know, he's he's going to be very active and involved. You still got, like, Malik Dorton as a veteran. And uh, we didn't see a lot of uh, Christian Rector, who, uh, before he broke his hand last year, was really active and, and came in and played well for Port Augustine, forcing a lot of sacks. I don't think he got a tackle in this game, but he played a bunch of plays. So there's a they're rotating a lot of guys in there. Um, they gave up over 300 yards rushing to UNLV, so that could be a concern when you're facing Bryce Love and a much better uh, offensive line. But I think some of that stuff was, you know, they didn't really give up anything in the passing game. So you know, I guess maybe it's a little bit of a trade off. Uh, but yeah, I th- I think the defense should be better. Uh, it's deeper for sure, and uh, you know, I, I liked what I saw for the first game. You know, despite the People, there are a lot of people concerned about giving up those kind of, you know, some big plays and some chunk yardage, but I, I think overall they played pretty well. So one of the uh, underestimated or underrated, I think, aspects of Stanford's success is special teams. Um, oh, yeah. Let's talk special led teams. By, yeah. I know you've got things to say about that, and, oh. and now you've got more than 140 characters to unload here. So <laughs> really want to take it, really want to take advantage of this forum here for you, Ryan. But, um, so, you know, Stanford's got Jake Bailey, who, you know, if you're not familiar, you will be with the hashtag Jake Bailey for Heisman, which is only 50% in jest at best, because <laughs> he's he's been really, really good. And, you know, just for a recent example, 11 of San Diego State's possessions, 11 out of 12 of their possessions on Friday night started inside their own 30. And the only one that didn't was a non-possession. It was when Noble Hall intercepted the pass and then Trent Irwin made him fumble on the same play. So technically San Diego State never started beyond their own 30 
Um, Jet Toner as a field goal kicker for Stanford was pretty good last year. He was he missed a kick um, on Friday night, so you know that kind of is what it is. But overall, the the Cardinal special teams have been really really good um, for them, if not you know spectacular. What is the state of USC special teams coming into this game? Yeah, well, first of all, Jet Toner, I love the name. It's a great name, and I saw yeah, yeah who doesn't right? Such a good name, good great kicker name too. Uh, okay, so I've been uh, you know I've been harping on USC special teams for a while as RJ. Uh, hinted at uh, during my tweets and stuff. And we had some, like Dan Weber would, uh, we had some arguments about it. Now there was definitely some good moments on special teams. The fact that I don't, um, I don't really like the the huge waves, you know, like, oh, great plays, crappy plays, great plays. It's like, I want you to be somewhat consistent and not really give up a lot of, you know, those hidden yards. If you, if you get some, that's fine, but you don't want to be giving them up a lot too. So it's sort of a feast or famine thing. And it just, you get these wild swings so they had some good moments. I mean, if you have your kicker goes five for five and ties a USC record, Chase McGrath, like that's that's nice. I mean, he scored 15 points plus, you know, four extra points. So I thought that was pretty good. Um, they had a long kickoff return from uh, 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 from uh, Stephen Carr. That was nice. And and they switched up the the punt return duties. And you got Tyler Vaughn's back there. He had a couple like 20, like a 26-yarder and 28-yarder I thought were pretty good. Uh, but there were still a bunch of mistakes too. They gave up a fake punt that led to a touchdown and uh, you know, they got aggressive trying to get after the punter and UNLV saw that and they adjusted and they ran a fake punt and it was, it was a beautiful play and it worked and for a huge gain. So that's not something you want to give up where you're getting out, your defense gets you off the field and then you give up a touchdown because you gave up a fake punt. Like that's, I'd rather you not try to block the punt and, and eliminate a fake punt than do that. Uh, and then, you know, right. the, so that's bad. And then they also, they had a couple penalties. Uh, I think they, you know, where it was like they returned a kickoff from like five yards deep in the end zone, which you shouldn't have done. Get a block in the back on the play, too. So you start at your own 10. Um, you know, stuff like that is a problem. And then also, I think they ra- they rolled out nine or 10 guys on a, a point after attempt. So there's uh, certainly been some some issues there, RJ. We'll see. It's I, I don't I don't like the wild swings, as I guess you could say. Yeah, I'm just curious how I mean, these are. This is a game, kind of a rare game, I, I guess, where there are two dedicated special teams coaches, right? Yeah. Um, both Stanford and and USC have committed a position just to special teams. Um, how available does Clay Helton make some of the better guys on the Trojan team to those to those units? Yeah, you can. Uh, so actually, today is out there at practice. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, so there, yeah, there's practice today. It's a defensive and special teams day. So you can go out and talk to him. You can talk to John Baxter. He used to coach the tight ends and special teams. Now he's just, uh, now he's just special teams. Or if you want to talk to the kickers, usually the kickers like leave a little early, they go do something, but they'll come back and, um, you can talk to them. So they're, they're usually available and, uh, it's always interesting. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I just, I'm just not a huge fan of, these plays where, you know, I don't think you need a lot of hero plays on special teams, but you can't give up the the big ones. And that's, that's what we're seeing right. a lot. It could, you know, in a game like this, you give up a fake punt that could lose you the game, you know? And so you don't want to see something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What else, uh, what else do you got here? We, uh, as usual, we've had no problem filling time. No, no. Uh, we always love chatting about this stuff. Are you, do you, uh, do you have any thoughts on this one? Like I didn't, I picked, UNLV to cover 
uh, against USC, like 26 points. I thought USC would win, but probably not by that much. Um, in this one, though, I kind of think it's more of a coin flip game. So if you're going to give me more than a field goal, like on either side, I would pick that. So USC getting three and a half or four and a half points, I think I would take USC in the points. Uh, what about you? Do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, I think the common, I think that's certainly the common sense, um, the common sense call. I, for me, this feels like a game that's going to be close for the vast majority. And then I think one of those big plays is going to happen. And I think the score is not going to reflect how close it was. Oh, if that makes sense. Sure. You know, I could see, you know, I could see it being a three point game or less in either team's direction. And then, you know, you get that one big play that makes it a seven, eight, nine, ten point game, and you walk away with a score that didn't really reflect how close the game was. I just think that, you know, with these two teams, there are just so many combustible elements. I mean, JT Daniels and and the Trojans and the deep passing game and their running backs. You know, that's that's lightning. Bryce Love and and what Stanford has been able to do with their deep passing game. You know, you got a lot of lightning there. So I don't know. As I'm talking to my, as I'm listening to myself right now, <laughs> now I'm starting to think about the contrarian thing where we're clearly setting our listeners up for a 14-13 game. <laughs> um, as we marvel, as we marvel at all the at all the talent. But yeah, I, I mean, again, like these two teams know each other. You know, they really do. And so you're not. I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of like wow, look, there's this whole new wrinkle that neither team has ever seen before. I just think it's, it's, it's going to be about when the big plays happen and just how many of them each team can get. Because I, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of separation on a play-by-play basis or for any significant stretch of plays between these two teams, especially because it's coming in week two. Yeah. I think I think you're right. I think there's potential for fireworks, but there's potential for like a slobber knocker sort of uh, game where you're looking at you know trenches, who's doing better job blocking and tackling and all that kind of stuff. And I I think it comes down to that a lot with USC and Stanford. Um, I mean, Clay Helton said he wanted to be more like Stanford, and that really pissed off a lot of USC fans. But I think they do. They want to be a more physical team, and we've seen Stanford be consistently doing that from Harbaugh to Shaw, you know, all every year. Um, do you, you know, one thing I mentioned a bunch, and I don't know if your, th- your thoughts on this, but USC beat obviously Stanford twice last year. Is that something that has extra motivation? Is that something like David Shaw's like, okay, we got to fix this. Like I can't lose this guy twice. Uh, I, I don't think there's any question. I think it's, well, I'll say two things. I'll say, first of all, in terms of what people are willing to disclose, I don't think David Shaw is willing to disclose as the extent to which it bothered him to lose to USC twice last year. But I certainly think the players have, and oh. the players do. Um, you know, <clears throat> the Trojan marching band was playing all through practice yesterday um, <laughs> at Stanford football practice. That will be the case all week long, and I can tell you this is the only team where that happens. Really? Um, yeah, there's no Oregon State fight music during Oregon <laughs> State week. Like that doesn't it doesn't even happen for the big game. There's no Cal music during big game week, but there is, you know, uh what is it? Tribute to Troy and Conquest. Yeah. You know, that deep and extensive playlist that the USC band has. 
They do a great job with Heartbreaker, though. I, I will defend. That's one of my I favorite ones. I will defend ones, their yeah. rendition of Pat Benatar. That's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, they do a great job with that. But anyway, to, to your point, um, yeah, no, I, Stanford fans make no make no bones about the fact that beating USC is as big as anyone else on the schedule, if not the top of the list. So losing, you know, it's 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 kind of a give and take, right? Like. 2015 was kind of a dream season because you got to beat USC twice. And last year was really, really tough because you lost the USC twice. Yeah. And, you know, clearly Stanford had made up ground by the time they played that second time. But a loss is a loss. And losing twice to USC is not anything that's going to sit well. And I think David Shaw, you know, in his most candid moment would, would, would agree with that as well. You know, he's someone who has staunchly advocated that these two teams belong on each other's schedule from now until the end of time. Um, I think the fan base has kind of agreed. So I do expect there to be a little something extra in terms of what Stanford's trying to, what Stanford's trying to do. And, and, and I think Stanford has become a team that USC looks at a little bit in that regard. Like I think it seems like Stanford week is something where Clay Helton doesn't have to get the players attention to get their best week of practice. No, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, everyone has rivals and stuff. Um, you know, all the California schools in the Pac-12. But it's been much more significant, you know, than the USC-UCLA game has been the USC-Stanford game. You know, talk about playing multiple times per year. Uh, you know, both teams play Notre Dame. But there's something special about this one. And I don't want to say it ruins it a little bit by playing at the second game of the season, but it height maybe it heightens it. You know, maybe it... You put all this importance of playing early uh, in the season, which I don't think these teams should have to do, but it's it's added some kind of uniqueness to this, you know, this rivalry within the you know the state of California within the Pac-12. Uh, it's it's been good to have these teams being in the Pac-12 championship game and uh, you know winning the conference and you know really depending on if you beat the other or not. There's been so many important games, so I yeah I, I love this this kind of new. I mean, it's always been like a rally, but now it's like significant. Like, really, I don't know if there's two sure. teams that play each other more that there's more on the line than when these two teams play. No, I 100% agree. And I think there's two, there's two components where I think you and I are both kind of on the same page. Number one is, you know, first of all, take away the emotion of it. This, these are your two biggest TV markets. So I don't really understand why you have to be convinced why a game later in the year when the stakes are only going to be bigger would be kind of the best scenario for you. And number two, I don't understand why playing Notre Dame gets this punitive treatment with regard to the schedule, as if playing Notre Dame is not a fantastic thing for the Pac-12 conference. Yeah, it's the Pac-12 does a lot of things wrong. This is one of them. <laughs> like there should be, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be punished for playing Notre Dame. Like you can figure out a way that you don't need these two teams to play in week two. Now there's, there's some coolness to it, I guess. There's something that, you know, there's, there is something that's kind of cool about playing this one early. And if you had to play twice, you know, you've played twice, like you said, 2015, 2017, it'd be, you know, I'd rather you play like one of them early, one of them later, but there, it's just a lot to put on the line, especially last year with Stanford going to fricking Australia and they're coming back. And yeah. it's like, I mean, there was some weird stuff going on there, I, but I'd rather see these teams play a little bit later, at least the middle of the season, not, you know, week two or three starting off the whole conference. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I just think that, you know, I mean, look, look, the benefit, the cool thing is, right, is that because of the conference championship game, there is always a chance for a late season game between these two teams. But, I mean, I just think, like you said, I don't think we need to be on the extreme just consistently. I think there's a way, you know, I think there's a way to move things around and, and, and get it so that it's in that sweet spot. I mean, I remember, God, I want to say it was 2013. Would that have been right? Yeah, 2013. That 2013 game was, was kind of a November, late October game. It was a really classic back-and-forth affair. Um, and it seemed like TV viewership did not suffer and the world did not untilt off its access and, and the teams were able to get Notre Dame in on in their schedule. So, I mean, this isn't something that like they've never been able to figure out before. So I, I just, this, this amnesia where like, we can't, well, God, you're playing Notre Dame. We, we have to put you in week two. Well, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's coming up a little short. I don't think you have to go that far back to remember a time when USC were playing Stanford. And, and, and I will say, you know, for Stanford to be clearing three home games without any of its students on campus is a little less than ideal. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, you can't always account for all of that. But certainly, I think, first of all, from a business point of view, but I, I think Stanford would like play USC in front of, at the very least, a full student section. Yes. No, that completely makes sense. And, uh, you know, maybe there's an advantage where the players don't, you know, haven't had to go to class yet. That's, that's something, but, um, you'd rather have a big game like that in front of a packed house, you know, and, uh, there'll be people there, but it's much easier if you can get a full student section, like you said. Yeah. So it, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. It's, you know, look, it's, it's USC Stanford week. I think, I mean, I'll say for me personally, this is by far the most exciting week um, of the season. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Me too, RJ. Uh, wait, thanks man for uh, coming on. Thanks for asking me questions about USC. These are always fun. These are a little different previews than we do or, you know, we kind of just ask each other questions. So it's, it's a fun one. Thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure, man. Anytime. All right. That's RJ Abadia from thebootleg.com. We'll be back in a second talking with Raphael about the spread on this game and where he thinks it's going to go. You know, ever since I started the Peristyle podcast, people have been asking me for betting advice. Are the Trojans going to cover the spread? Truth is, I don't know who's going to win, but if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys. They're your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. You can lay down some cash and win big today. That's why I'm urging you to go make your way to MyBookie. You win and they pay. They have in-game, live betting, and the most rewarding player perks in the business and all you fantasy gurus out there. You can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So if you join now, MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code PARASTYLE to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code PARASTYLE when creating an account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, we are back here on the PARASTYLE podcast. And as promised... 
We have our friend Rafael Esparza. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at VSI Doc Sports. He's with Doc Sports Service and my bookie AG odds maker consultant. What's up, Rafael? How you doing, man? Pretty good. How about yourself? Can't complain. I had a full weekend of college football. I got to just consume. I did uh, my Pac-12 picks. I'll just let you know. I was 7-4-1 and one against the spread, so I thought it was pretty good. Nice. I mean, everyone uh, – and there were some upsets. I mean, I thought uh, – I think the Pac-12 maybe had a little rough uh, a rough going as uh, as uh, the Bearcats went into UCLA and, and took a win. But I think the biggest one was the Fighting Mormons of BYU going to Tucson and, and spoiling the Arizona Wildcats. But there was some big – there were some nice upsets and some nice games all week. So uh, week two of the college football, I'll tip my hat off. Yeah, I had a Cincinnati minus 15, so that was – but I thought Arizona would cover. I thought they were going to be a lot better, and BYU just pushed them around. So, uh, But, yeah, ASU covered. It was good. We, you know, we both picked UNLV to cover the spread and obviously got that right. I picked Auburn. So, um, yeah, the one I really was upset about was Oregon State because I had them with, like, 39 points. And, and Ohio State scored, like, three or four touchdowns in the fourth quarter with their scrubs. So, otherwise, Oregon State would have covered, too. Yeah, that game would have probably been different without the big layover, uh, the big rain or thunder, whatever yeah. the layover. Oh, was. Yeah. Uh, that was. I think that was. I think that was maybe real uh, the main reason why that number got that covered. I think if they would have played about it, I think Ohio State would have uh, would have ran the ball more, and maybe those scrubs probably wouldn't have got in as much, uh, and they would have just uh, ran the ball, and uh, that that number would have covered. But I think the delay probably killed. Uh, whoever had the Beavers, I had the small play on the Beavers just because I thought it was a bit too big of a number. Yeah, me too. And it looked like it was, they were going to cover. But well, that, so so the let's talk about the USC game, obviously, because that's important. Um, both of us thought that UNLV would cover, uh, USC wouldn't cover the spread. Um, UNLV would uh, keep it a little closer, which they did. I mean, UNLV actually had a lead close to halftime. Uh, but it, did it happen in a way that kind of surprised you the way USC played at all? Yeah, I just, I'm actually shocked in how the offense of the UNLV Rebels uh, were able to uh, move the ball in the, in the first half. I I wasn't watching that game uh, right away because I had other games on, and uh, when I saw the score, I thought maybe my computer was uh, playing pranks on me. <laughs> uh, so I hit the refresh button not once but twice, and then I looked outside to see if it was snowing uh, <laughs> to see if maybe hell froze over, and that wasn't the case either. So then I actually did switch it on. Uh, to my uh, to a, a, a TV screen and yeah, I, I was like I said, I was a little bit shocked at how well the UNLV uh, running Rebels were able to move the ball on offense in the first half. I, USC flexed their muscles, and I would love to have been a fly in the locker room at halftime because I don't think they were singing "Kumbaya" and giving high fives. I, I would say the over under of cuss words at halftime probably had to be anywhere between eighty four and a half or higher, uh, just the way the defense have played, giving up that points for uh, UNLV. So. Uh, USC sh- showed showed up in the second half. I mean, it was a totally night and day different type of game from first half to second half. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, you know, USC looked more USC-like. They gave up some big plays. There was the fake punt and uh, kind of fake reverse that went for a long touchdown. But um, Lexington Thomas, I like him as a running back. He's a little scat back guy. He's fun to watch. So uh, it's interesting. This is going to be a completely different team they're going to face in Stanford. Um, if you got to see them, Last week, uh, they covered the spread against San Diego State uh, without Bryce Love really doing anything. Um, I guess when you have, you know, KJ, uh, uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside going for 240 yards and three touchdowns or whatever it was, you're probably going to be doing okay, even if Bryce Love doesn't do much. 
Uh, this is a team that returned 96% of their scoring offense uh, from last year. Uh, they forced a lot of turnovers last year, but they got to replace some guys like uh, Harrison Phillips and Justin Reed on the defense. Uh, and they come into this game as a favorite. Maybe you want to talk about what the, the point spread is and uh, and what you think about this game. Yeah, this game is going to be very interesting. I'm glad it's an 8.30 game because uh, most of the evening games are, are I don't want to say duds, but there's really not that big like a Notre Dame-Michigan game where we had last weekend. So I'm really excited for this game. Hopefully the East Coast uh, people would watch this game. So I think it's going to be a hard-hit game. It's gonna be, I think it's going to be exactly what we saw last year when USC won 31-28 at USC. I think we're going to see that type of game of whoever wins is going to win a, be a field goal, and not like we saw two years ago where USC blew them out 42-24 or in, or in six, 2016. I think Stanford won. I don't know if it was 24-10 or 27-10, something around that number. I think it's going to be a hard-hitting game. I think whoever establishes the run early – I think it's going to take the pace right away. The number right now we have is three and a half, and I would not be shocked if it stays around. And we're getting a lot of good two-way action. Last time I checked uh, before I came on uh, the air, we were, uh, it opened up at three and a half. And right now we have Stanford at minus five and a half. So the public thinks uh, laying the home number uh, with Stanford, it, it was it was nice value. I think they're overlooking maybe what they saw with UNLV, who was able to uh, throw up over 400 yards in offense against USC's defense. What are they going to do with Stanford? And maybe if they can establish the running game early, uh, maybe that, I think that's why Stanford's number moved two points. I think the total is a little bit over-adjusted, 56.5, like I said, last year. Or the last two years, I think they've gone over. Four out of five has gone over. But that's a, that's a big number, 56.5. Last year was 58.5 in USC, but the last time they played – at Stanford, the total was only 48 and a half. So I think I think it's going to be a hard-hitting game of the run being established early. I lean towards the under. Uh, but if this number keeps on climbing, like I said, it's eight. It's, it's at 8.30 game. If I can get USC maybe plus six, I might look at the Trojans. I think it's going to be a field goal game. Uh, I think whoever wins, wins by a field goal. So if I can get plus six with USC, I might look at that. Because I right now, I don't see that much value in Stanford laying almost the six points at home. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, I think, you know, just picking aside, I think I'm going to go with USC on this one. I could easily see them uh, winning the game, but I, I think it'll be close, like you said. Uh, the earlier, you know, they played twice last year, and it was, what, 42-24 USC. Just probably played their best game of the year at home. And if you look at the Stanford game, you know, Stanford played great in the second half. Going into halftime, they were down 7-2, to two, threw an interception, and then had, you know, and I think uh, Trent Irwin, like, forced a fumble, and they got the ball back and then went for a big play uh, to our Sega Whiteside and, and went up 9-7 at halftime. But like, they could have easily been down more than 7-2 to two going into half, and, and so, you know, a, a nice turn of events for them. They end up getting the lead. So it's not like Stanford came out playing great against San Diego State. They, they avenged the loss that they had to them last year. So, I, I, yeah, to me, that's just, you know, laying more than a field goal. Uh, you know, if I'm going to get USC plus a field goal or more, I, I'm taking them. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, because the Aztecs were able to run the ball uh, on Stanford. I mean, Washington uh, for San Diego State had over 150 yards uh, against that Stanford uh, defense, and Stanford had we what we said before. Love only had what under 30 yards. I, I 29 or 28. Yeah. Uh, last time I saw that, but yeah, he was a horrible. I mean, if it wasn't for Castillo, uh, who threw four touchdown passes, I mean. Uh, that's the difference of the game. So I think, it, it, like I said, if USC can establish the run and, and put the heels on uh, Stanford defense, I think it's going to be a lot closer game. I, I just think it's too big of a number at five and a half right now. And the public will probably continue betting 
uh, Stanford because they're at home uh, looking for a little bit re- uh, revenge from last year's uh, uh, loss. I think we, I would not be shocked if this number goes up to six. And, and if it does, I'm probably going to look at USC. All right, Rafael Esparza. You can follow him on Twitter, VSI Doc Sports. He's with Doc Sports Service and also is an odds maker consultant for mybookie.ag. Rafael, thanks for coming on. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Take it easy. Have a great weekend. All right, that was Rafael Esparza. Uh, really appreciate him coming on and sharing a bunch of insights as far as the betting lines and stuff go. I love talking about that stuff, and we get a lot of questions, so I assume you guys uh, like it too. Uh, I wanted to do one quick question we had from Jared. He said, I've heard so many different stories about where Christian Rector and Connor Murphy will play this year. was wondering uh, where they will contribute on this year's defense, Predator or Interior maybe. Thanks from Jared. And it's funny, I just got done reading Shotgun's um, uh, 10 Things. What would he call it? He called it 10 Things um, You Didn't Know About This Team. No, 10 things you may have missed in the UNSC-UNLV game. And uh, it's a really good piece for our VIP members only. So go check it out. If you're not a subscriber, go sign up. You get a free trial. It's 10 bucks. It's, uh, it's a great deal. But uh, awesome stuff from Shotgun. He, he watches all the games and uh, re-watches them and, and takes note on every play, every player who is in for every play. Uh, so he'll tell you things like Austin Jackson played the most plays in this game, 86 plays. Because he played all but three on offense. Uh, all I think it was 73 plays on offense. So he played 70. But he also had 16 plays on special teams. So he was on like three or four different special teams units. So uh, And he didn't come out for when Clayton Johnston would Clayton Bradley, excuse me now, would come into the game. Clayton Bradley mostly came in for Chuma Adoga. So, uh, yeah. So stuff like that, he gets some really good insight. But he did have, he mentioned both of those players uh, that you were talking about, Jared. So um, Christian Rector was back to his old role of just being in on third down situations for passing uh, passing downs. So I think he had a couple of hurries and like a hit on the quarterback, but no tackles. So he wasn't uh, really, you know, a, a huge contributor as far as the number of plays he put in. And Connor Murphy, who played every game last year, was on a lot of the special teams units, didn't play at all in this game. And he was uh, he was healthy. So he was a healthy scratch. So not really sure. I thought Connor Murphy had kind of improved and did some things um, to get on the field, but he was not. So, uh, Jared, hopefully that answers your question. But you guys should definitely check out Shotgun's pieces. He breaks down where everyone played and uh, you know goes through the film a uh, number of times. He doesn't sleep a lot, uh, <laughs> but he put up a couple pieces today up on uscfootball.com that I think you would enjoy. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up. This is our Stanford preview show. Uh, thanks to, uh, everyone for listening. We do appreciate you. I know we put out a lot of these, so I don't even know if you have time to listen to them all, but we get a lot of emails, like crank out more. So we're, I know it's not bad to do more content. So, uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it and, uh, enjoy the game this weekend. If you're going to be up on the farm and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.